This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk From October to Brest-Litovsk by Leon Trotsky Chapter 6. The Conflict with the Soviets In the Petrograd Soviet, the domination of our party was definitely strengthened from that time on. This was evidenced in dramatic fashion when the question of the personnel of its presiding body came up. At that epoch, when the social revolutionists and the minimalists were holding sway in the Soviets, they isolated the maximalists by every means in their power. They did not admit even one maximalist into the membership of the executive committee at Petrograd, even when our party represented at least one-third of all the Soviet members. Afterwards, when the Petrograd Soviet, by a dwindling majority, passed the resolution for the transferring of all power into the hands of the Soviet, our party put forth the demand to establish a coalition executive committee formed on a proportional basis. The old presiding body, the members of which were Sheritz, Tseretelli, Kerensky, Skobolov, Chernov, flatly refused this demand. It may not be out of place to mention this here, inasmuch as representatives of the parties, broken up by the revolution, speak of the necessity of presenting one front for the sake of democracy, and accuses us of separatism. There was called at that time a special meeting of the Petrograd Soviet, which was to decide the question of the presiding body's fate. All forces, all reserves had been mobilized on both sides. Tseretelli came out with a speech embodying a program, wherein he pointed out that the question of the presiding body was a question of orientation. We reckoned that we would sway somewhat less than half of the votes and were ready to consider that a sign of our progress. Actually, however, the vote showed that we had a majority of nearly 100. For six months, said Zeratelli at the time, we have stood at the head of the Petrograd Soviet and led it from victory to victory. We wish that you may hold for at least half of that time the positions which you are now preparing to occupy. In the Moscow Soviet, a similar change of leadership among the parties took place. One after the other, the provincial Soviets joined the Bolshevik position. The date of convoking the second All-Russian Congress of Soviets was approaching, but the leading group of the Central Executive Committee was striving with all its might to put off the Congress to an indefinite future time, in order thus to destroy it in advance. It was evident that the new Congress of Soviets would give our party a majority, would correspondingly alter the make-up of the Central Executive Committee, and deprive the fusionists of their most important position. The struggle for the convocation of the All-Russian Congress of Soviets assumed the greatest importance for us. To counterbalance this, the Mensheviks, minimalists, and the social revolutionists put forth the democratic conference idea. They needed this move against both us and Kerensky. By this time, the head of the ministry assumed an absolutely independent and irresponsible position. 
he had been raised to power by the Petrograd Soviet during the first epoch of the revolution. Kerensky had entered the ministry without a preliminary decision of the Soviets, but his admission was subsequently approved. After the first Congress of Soviets, the socialist ministers were held accountable to the Central Executive Committee. Their allies, the cadets, constitutional democrats, were responsible only to their party. To meet the bourgeoisie's wishes, the General Executive Committee, after the July days, released the socialist ministers from all responsibility to the Soviets, in order, as it were, to create a revolutionary dictatorship. It is rather well to mention this, too, now that the same persons who built up the dictatorship of a coterie come forth with accusations and imprecations against the dictatorship of a class. The Moscow Conference, at which the skillfully manipulated professional and democratic elements balanced each other, aimed to strengthen Kerensky's power over classes and parties. This aim was attained only in appearance. In reality, the Moscow conference revealed Kerensky's utter impotence, for he was equally remote from both the professional elements and the bourgeois democracy. But since the liberals and conservatives applauded his onslaughts against democracy, the fusionists gave him ovations when he cautiously upbraided the counter-revolutionaries. The impression was growing upon him that he was supported, as it were, by both the former and the latter, and accordingly commanded unlimited power. Over working men and revolutionary soldiers, he held the threat of blood and iron. His policy continued the bargaining of Kornilov behind the scenes, a bargaining which compromised him even in the fusionists' eyes, in evasively diplomatic terms, so characteristically of him, Tseretelli spoke of personal movements in politics and of the necessity of curbing these personal movements. This task was to be accomplished by the Democratic Conference, which was called, according to arbitrary forms, from among representatives of Soviets, Dumas, Zemtos, professional trade unions and cooperative societies. Still, the main task was to secure a sufficiently conservative composition of the conference to dissolve the Soviets once and for all in the formless mass of democracy and, on the new organizational basis, to gain a firm footing against the Bolshevik tide. Here it will not be out of place to note, in a few words, the difference between the political role of the Soviets and that of the democratic organs of self-government. More than once, the Philistines call our attention to the fact that the new Dumas and Zemtos, elected on the basis of universal suffrage, were incomparably more democratic than the Soviets and were more suited to represent the population. However, this formal democratic criterion is devoid of serious content in a revolutionary epoch. The significance of the revolution lies in the rapid changing of the judgment of the masses in the fact that new and ever new strata of population acquire experience, verify their views of the day before, sweep them aside, work out new ones, desert old leaders and follow new ones in the forward march. During revolutionary times, formerly democratic organizations, based upon the ponderous apparatus of universal suffrage, inevitably fall behind the development of the political consciousness of the masses, Quite different are the Soviets. They rely immediately upon organic groupings, 
such as shop, mill, factory, volst, regiment, etc. To be sure, there are guarantees, just as legal, of the strictness of elections, as are used in created democratic Dumas and Zemtos, but there are in the Soviet incomparably more serious, more profound guarantees of the direct and immediate relation between the deputy and the electors. A town Duma or Zemtos member is supported by the amorphous mass of electors, which entrusts its full powers to him for a year and then breaks up. The Soviet electors remain always united by the conditions of their work and their existence. The deputy is ever before their eyes. At any moment they can prepare a mandate to him, censure him, recall or replace him with another person. If during the revolutionary month preceding the general political evolution expressed itself in the fact that the influence of the fusionist parties was being replaced by the decisive influence of the Bolsheviki, it is quite plain that this process found its most striking and fullest expression in the Soviets, while the Dumas and Zemtos, notwithstanding all their formal democratism, express yesterday's status of the popular masses and not today's. It is exactly what explains the gravitation towards the Dumas and Zemtos on the part of those parties which were losing more and more ground in the esteem of the revolutionary class. We shall meet with the same question, only on a larger scale, later, when we come to the Constituent Assembly. End of chapter 6